The reading for today is from Galatians 2, verses 1 through 9. Then, after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Fred, and I'm part of the team here. And uh, I'll just reiterate uh, Tanner's welcome. If you have joined us for the first time, uh, we're very thankful you're with us. And uh, I know that you've been welcomed, And uh, but uh, we appreciate just you coming to, to join with us to worship the Lord and to hear from his word. We are in the book of Galatians, and uh, this is a deep dive into the gospel. And there's a, there's a lot to cover here, so let's, let's jump in. But before we look at the passage and consider what it's telling us, uh, let me invite you please to pray. Father in heaven, We are people who need to hear your word. Your word is living and active. And I pray that by your spirit, your word would be living and active in our hearts this morning. That we would hear you addressing us as a church body. And that we would take what your word has to say uh, very seriously and, and embrace it and and look for ways to faithfully live it out um, as a community of Christians here in Kitsilano. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the gospel message, the good news about Jesus Christ, um, as you probably know, isn't always the most popular message in the world. Um, and there are, there are reasons for this. Um, most, the biggest reason, I think, is that the, the, the grace of God um, that we can receive only by faith, that that grace um, really radically undercuts what is, I think, a universal human desire to be, you know, the, 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 uh, the master of our own fate or the captain of our own soul. The, the gospel... Uh, radically undercuts that 
that human drive that we have to be in control, to be the boss of our own lives. And because of this, from the very beginning, we see it here in Galatians many times, from the very beginning, the gospel has been attacked and it's been opposed and uh, in, a, in a variety of ways. Not only from those outside the church, but unfortunately even from those who claim to be Christians. The gospel has been undermined and attacked. And here in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with a problem, a very serious problem. Here's what's happened. There's these, these guys, these false teachers who have come into the churches in Galatia. And as he says in chapter 1, they are trying to distort the gospel. They're, they're taking some of the gospel and they're twisting it out of shape. And they're doing this by insisting that, that believers, that Christians who come from a non-Jewish background, that, that believers need to be circumcised and they need to observe or to keep the laws of Moses in order to be right with God, in order to be saved. And these false teachers or Judaizers, as they're sometimes called, they said that, that Paul's message of justification, of being right with God through uh, God's grace alone, in Christ alone, they said that this message that Paul was preaching was inadequate. It fell short. They said that, that it, was, uh, it wasn't the full gospel. And so what they did is they said, we'll give you the full gospel. And they came along to these churches and they added this requirement of faith in Jesus plus the law of Moses. We've got to keep the law of Moses. They said that that was missing from Paul's message. And in order to get their foot in the door of these churches in order to be heard by these believers in Galatia, um, they undermined Paul's ministry. They said that he got his message secondhand. He got it secondhand, maybe caught it in the wind from the, the apostles, the real apostles up in Jerusalem, that he got that message secondhand from them and that he was illegitimately um, taking the gospel and adapting it for this sort of Gentile or non-Jewish context that he was ministering in. And these false teachers, in order to to assert their authority, they said, they made this claim that they had official approval from the apostles at head office up in Jerusalem. They, they were representing them. And that was another way in which they sought to undermine Paul's apostolic ministry. And so for two chapters in the book of Galatians, Paul is doing one thing. He is defending the divine authority of his ministry and his message. That's really all that he's doing in these first two chapters of Galatians. For example, last week we saw what Paul said in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Here's what he wrote. 
I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It doesn't come from man. For because I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by the apostles. But he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This counters the the claim that the false teachers are making. Paul is saying here that the gospel he preaches was revealed to him. It came by a divine revelation from the risen Christ, the Lord of glory. And so he is an independent witness to the good news about Jesus Christ. But now, in the section we're looking at this morning, Paul is anticipating a question that the Galatians might have, and he he addresses it head on. The question that we might have, in fact, is, well, then is there two Gospels? Are there two Gospels? Is it possible that there are two versions of the Gospel? A Gospel for the Jews that is coming from Jerusalem and a gospel for the Gentiles that Paul is preaching? That's a serious question. It's not just a serious question, it's a serious problem, because if that's what's happening, then some of the apostles are preaching one type of gospel for people in the Jewish context, and Paul is out there on his own preaching another gospel for people in a Gentile or non-Jewish context. And if that's what's going on, here's the problem. This is why this is serious. If that's what's going on, the foundation of the church is cracked. The foundation of the church is cracked and the church itself will eventually collapse. We could say that if that's what's going on, if there's really two types of gospel out there being preached, then the kingdom of God is actually divided against itself. So that's the problem that Paul is dealing with here in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. We'll look at verse 10 separately next week. So what I want to do with you this morning is look at this passage under three main points. If you're taking notes, here they are. First point, the gospel presented. Second, the gospel defended. And third, the gospel confirmed. Let's begin with the gospel presented in verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. This is what Paul says in verses 1 and 2. Now, last week, we saw that there was a first visit that Paul made up to Jerusalem. It was a very brief visit, only a couple of weeks, and he only met a couple of the apostles. He made that first visit, he tells us last week, 
three years after he was converted, after he came to Christ. And now here in these verses, Paul tells us that after 14 years, he's made or he made a second visit to Jerusalem. And this time, Paul went up to Jerusalem, he tells us, to set before the other apostles there the gospel that he has been preaching for 14 years among the non-Jewish peoples, among the Gentiles. There are three things, I think, that really stand out for us in these two verses. First, Paul says that he went up to, to Jerusalem because of a revelation. He received a revelation, and that's why... He took some time off from preaching the gospel among the Gentiles. That's why he went up to Jerusalem, because of a revelation. Now, he doesn't give us any details about this, but it's because the Lord told him to. He didn't go up to Jerusalem because he was summoned by the other apostles to come and and make his case to them. That's not what's going on here. He went up to Jerusalem because of a revelation from the Lord. The Lord told him to go. Now, in order to really, to really appreciate the, the significance of this meeting that Paul had with the other apostles in Jerusalem, in order to get how important this is, we need to understand a bit of the context, a bit of what's happened before this meeting here in Jerusalem. You see, for 14 years, Paul has been very busy preaching the gospel in a bunch of different regions throughout that sort of Middle Eastern area, regions like Arabia and Cilicia and Syria. He told us about that in chapter 1. And during those 14 years, Peter and others from Jerusalem have also been very busy preaching the gospel. You can read about that in Acts 10 and 11. And although the gospel that sort of is coming out of Jerusalem focused primarily on people from a Jewish background, if we read Acts 10 and 11, we see that Gentiles began to hear, non-Jews began to hear this message that was coming out of Jerusalem, and they too were turning to Christ. So even the the gospel that was coming out of Jerusalem was beginning to reach beyond the Jewish community. Even Peter uh, told the gospel to Cornelius, who was a non-Jew, and he came and turned to Christ. Now, what's the significance of that? Because as as you might imagine, that created the same kind of situation that Paul is addressing with the Galatian churches. What's what's the issue? The issue is, how do Gentile Christians, how do non-Jewish Christians relate to things like circumcision and the law of Moses? That was an issue they were facing in in the church in Jerusalem as well. And at that particular point in history, there was some disagreement on this issue. It wasn't clear yet. This issue wasn't finalized and settled yet. Now, the interesting thing 
I think about this is that that's the situation that the Lord spoke to Paul about and said, go up to Jerusalem and address this. The Lord revealed himself to Paul and said, I want you to go up to Jerusalem and help them work through this issue. Now, if you think about it, this is potentially a, a very difficult meeting, right? What if Paul goes up there? He doesn't know what he's going to encounter. What if he goes up to Jerusalem and the apostles don't see eye to eye with him? This is potentially a difficult meeting. Paul was concerned about it. We'll see that in a second. But before we get there, let me just say this to us. Sometimes the Lord calls us into difficult situations. In Paul's case, he was walking into a possible conflict with the apostles in Jerusalem. In our case, we might have to go to a brother or a sister in Christ and, and humbly correct them concerning some issue of sin in their lives or perhaps some unbiblical belief that they're holding. And that's not going to be easy. But I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we, are we willing to face possible conflict with others for the sake of the gospel. That is what Paul was willing to face. For the sake of the gospel, he was going to go up to Jerusalem and face possible conflict with the other apostles. And the question is, are we willing to do the same? Do we love God and others enough to confront them with the truth? One author writes, The truth is that we fail to confront, not because we love others too much, but because we love ourselves too much. Now, I realize how very strange this must sound in our cultural context, where tolerance and diversity and inclusion and acceptance are prized above almost everything else. But we need to ask ourselves here this morning, for the sake of the gospel, are we willing to risk disagreement and conflict with others for the sake of the gospel? Look, there's lots of room for differences among us on non-essential issues. Please hear me. There's lots of room for differences among Christians on their favorite food and where they like to go on vacation and what kind of car they like to drive and whether they're Apple people or, you know, PC people or lots of room for differences, lots of room for disagreements, even on many theological issues. But when it comes to the gospel and the unity of the church... We cannot compromise. We must be willing to lovingly confront and correct one another on these issues. That's the first thing we learn from those two verses. The second thing to notice in these verses is that Paul takes Titus along with him. Now, that's just not a throwaway detail. This is important. So why? 
Why is it so important that Paul brings Titus along with him when he goes up to Jerusalem? Well, it's because Titus is an uncircumcised Gentile Christian. And so Titus is going to serve as an example to the apostles at these meetings of the freedom that we have through faith in Christ, freedom from the law of Moses and all of its 16, uh, 613 commands. Titus is a living example. He's exhibit A of living in the freedom of the gospel. And the question is, Will the apostles in Jerusalem try to force Titus to be circumcised according to the Old Testament law? Or will they greet him as a brother in Christ? There's no better way for, for Paul to kind of force the issue than by bringing Titus along with him. Now, you have to wonder how Titus felt on his way going up to Jerusalem. You better have my back, Paul. That's the second thing. The third thing. Paul says that he went up to Jerusalem to set the gospel before the other apostles, quote, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. That doesn't mean that Paul is having second thoughts about the gospel that he's been preaching for 14 years. That's not what he's saying here. Paul was not afraid that after all this time and preaching the gospel in so many regions, maybe he had it wrong. That's not what he's thinking because remember what he said in chapter 1, that the risen Lord had revealed this gospel to him. There's no higher authority than the risen Lord, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So he doesn't think, he doesn't think to himself, well, maybe I've just been mistaken all this time. That's not what he's thinking. Nor do I think that Paul went up to Jerusalem because he thought that the the other apostles didn't understand the gospel either. They had been with Jesus for three years and they had the gospel revealed to them as well after his resurrection. He didn't think that, that the apostles didn't understand the gospel. So what's going on here? Paul's concern, I think, is is more subtle. It's more nuanced. I think Paul was afraid of something we all face. That the apostles in Jerusalem might be swayed, might be influenced by those who were trying, those around them in Jerusalem, who were trying to maintain their cultural Jewishness by practicing circumcision, observing kosher dietary laws, and keeping the Jewish calendar. He's afraid that the apostles in Jerusalem, despite knowing the gospel, have been pressured by this cultural influence to accommodate it to a way of thinking about the gospel that now applies to everybody everywhere, even Gentiles. That's Paul's concern here. He was concerned that they might cave under the pressure and thus undermine the very foundations of the church. See, if if we, 
If we do that, if there are basically two views of the gospel, one that is free of the law and one that has to observe the law, or, then there's no, there's no united foundation for the church. And that our new humanity as Jew and Gentile, our new humanity in Christ is compromised. Paul was afraid of a divided church defined more by cultural identity than by the new life that we have in Christ through faith. That's the problem. That's the issue here. Now, I know that probably we don't face this issue too often here. I'm guessing that almost all of us, maybe all of us, come from a non-Jewish background, and so this probably isn't a live issue for us. But I would suggest to you that we do face, every one of us, we do face daily pressure to subvert the new identity that we have in Christ to the identity or identities which are promoted and preached and practiced so pervasively in our culture. See, when the ideology of modern individualism defines us, what happens is we end up elevating each person's subjective opinion over the objective revealed truth of God's word. And in that case, people end up trying to use Jesus instead of submitting to his lordship. See, when we reduce the gospel to a a privatized, individualized, me and Jesus relationship, we end up shattering the foundation and the unity of the church. If you ask me, I would say this is our number one challenge. This is the number one challenge of every church in the West. To take the gospel that gives us a new identity in Christ and to privatize it and personalize it and make it about just me and Jesus. That shatters the the foundations of the church. That shatters the unity of the church. And that is an issue that Paul is fighting to address here in the book of Galatians. See, it's impossible to live and move and even breathe in this culture and not be tempted to invest, uh, to, to take on board this individual, autonomous, me-first ideology. We're infected by it. We've got to fight against it. Consider what Paul Tripp writes. The ultimate apologetic for the reality of the gospel is the loving unity of the body of Christ. A unity so deep, resilient, and pervasive that it can only be compared to the unity of the Trinity. Our call is to find satisfaction in our relationships, not because people please us, but because we delight in displaying God's love to a hopeless world. 
This is the unity. This is the unity of believers that we have as a gift of God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's concern about running in vain is his concern about the unity of Christ's body. If the other apostles insisted on Jewish cultural identity for all believers, both Jews and Gentiles, then ultimately they weren't working together anymore. And Paul's mission to advance the the one gospel for the freedom and the new unified humanity in Christ, it would be dead in the water. It would be in vain. See, there's only one gospel that unites all true Christians because there's only one God who saves us. Guard against personalized, individualistic, me-first versions of the gospel. Does your understanding of the gospel cause you to move toward others for their good? Do you feel connected to others? Like Paul says in Romans 12, that you are a member one of another. That our lives are knit together by Christ in love to serve and sacrifice and care for and encourage and build up and even correct one another sometimes. This is about the unity of the church. And that's the gospel that Paul presented to the apostles in Jerusalem. Second point, the gospel defended. In verses 3 through 5, Paul interrupts the flow of his argument and he relates this incident that happened to him when he was up in Jerusalem meeting with the other apostles. Here's what he says. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that, here's why, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, Paul anticipated this. That's why he brought Titus. Titus was a test case for his law-free gospel. But the pressure to circumcise Titus did not come from the apostles. It came from these guys that he calls the false brothers who secretly slipped in to their meetings. This language ought to remind us of the serpent in the garden. These sham Christians, as one person identifies them, tried to force their Jewish identity on Titus by pressuring him to be circumcised. And this, as Paul points out, is not merely a matter of cultural preference. It's a matter of freedom or slavery. It's a matter of life or death. And if Titus or the male Christians in the churches of Galatia were to receive circumcision, here's what it would be saying. It would be saying that in effect, the finished work of Jesus Christ is not enough 
to make us right with God. And that's a different gospel. That's no gospel at all. It would, it would be nothing less than a wholesale repudiation of the gospel. As Paul points out later on in the book of Galatians, circumcision implies membership in a covenant community that is defined ultimately by laws that enslave us and condemn us. And that is why Jesus Christ came into the world to set us free. See, by fulfilling all of the righteous requirements of the law, Christ is the, the, the true and faithful Israelite who was circumcised in his flesh on the cross for our sins. And who rose again from the dead for our forgiveness and our reconciliation and to receive the gift of his righteousness through faith. What is your hope this morning? Is it in your relationship with Jesus plus what you can add to that? That's a repudiation of the gospel. We must look to Jesus and the work that he has accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection and say, that's it. That's finished. That's enough. That's my hope. I trust him. I don't put any confidence in myself that somehow I have something to add to what he has done. It's ridiculous. So by rejecting circumcision, Paul and Titus defended and preserved the truth of the gospel for all those who believe it. And that's the way it's happened throughout history. As I said when I opened up, the gospel has not always been a popular message. It's often been attacked and opposed from outside the church as well as some professing Christians inside the church. And every time God has raised up people like Paul to defend the truth of the gospel against error and compromise and addition. It's happened over and over and over again. Because the good news of justification, of being right with God, through God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the truth that Martin Luther said, the church stands or falls on this truth. That's what the book of Galatians is about. And by God's grace to us, even here this morning, he has preserved and he has protected this gospel through the work of countless saints that have come before us. Why? So that we would have a hope here this morning. And so that we would have good news to pass on to the next generation of believers. This is the joyful and solemn burden that we've been entrusted with.
We must be a community that defend and preserve this truth. That leads me to my third point, the gospel confirmed. In verses 6 through 9, Paul tells us about how the, how the apostles in Jerusalem responded to the gospel that he presented to them. He writes, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, the Jewish people, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In this record of response from the Jerusalem apostles to Paul's gospel, he obliterates the argument that the false teachers are making about them having the authority, them having the approval of the other apostles. Notice here in verse 6, Paul says they didn't add anything to the gospel he presented. That, that's what we're talking about. The gospel needs no additions. If you add anything, you destroy the gospel. They added nothing to Paul's message. Rather, he says, they recognized that God was working both through him and his ministry to the Gentiles and through Peter and his ministry to the Jewish people. And when they recognized that, they recognized the grace of God on his ministry, Paul says that they shook on it. They extended to Paul and to Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They said, we are in agreement. We are on the same mission together. Building this one new humanity through faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. This is the unity of the gospel that the Lord told Paul to go up to Jerusalem and work out with the others. There are different spheres of ministry, but there is only one gospel. As John Stott writes, if there is only one gospel in the New Testament, there is only one gospel for the church. The gospel has not changed with the changing centuries, whether it is preached to young or old, to east or west, to Jews or Gentiles, to cultured or uncultured, to scientists or non-scientists, although its presentation may vary, its substance is the same. Paul and Peter had a different commission, but they had a common message. Let me close with this. The gospel is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance for the unity and for the redemption of God's people. We must guard the gospel. 
We must preserve the gospel. We must defend the gospel. From all of the different all of the different identities that our culture tries to, to, to force upon us, which ultimately seek to subvert the identity that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that by your grace we would be a courageous people to trust in your grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, as being enough, enough to make us right with you, to, to make us righteous in your sight, not because of anything that we have done. We are dead in our sin, apart from your grace on our lives. And I pray that this gospel would unite us and help us to that it would change the way we look at each other and regard each other and serve each other. And that we would be a people who glory in this good news that in Christ we are a, a new humanity for a new creation that will one day come when he returns at the end of the age. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.